Well, good morning, church family. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, whether you're here on campus with us or online, I'm so thankful that you guys are here. I'm Pastor Steven. I'm the kids' pastor here at Calvary. And, and, and don't worry, I see some of you looking at me with panic look, looks on your eyes in the room. You didn't, you didn't make a mistake today. We're not about to launch into jumpstart worship and start doing like uh, dance move songs or anything like that. So just uh, bear with me. You, you dodged a bullet this morning. It's, it's going to be okay. I, I'm excited to be here with you this morning as we continue diving into the book of 1 Peter. And today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to look at the first 12 verses of 1 Peter chapter 3. And this morning, we're going to talk about in our lives, the title of the sermon today is Prepare for the Best. And a lot of times in our lives, especially in, in our day and age, we get caught up in, in this idea of wanting things to happen, maybe on our timeline, or wanting things to happen instantly for us. But sometimes it takes waiting or thinking about our future, looking forward to unlock what's best in our lives. I think I learned this lesson. Well, I learned is, is a strong term, but I first began to experience this um, when I, I started uh trying to use an oven. You got, we, all, we all know what an oven is, you know, you put frozen pizzas in it. I know you can use it for other things, but for me, it's primarily frozen pizzas or frozen biscuits. Those are kind of like my two go-to. When I need the oven, that's what I'm using it for. And um, I learned this really cool lesson after I got married because my entire life, I had just always gone to the kitchen turned the oven on, put it on whatever temperature it was supposed to be on, and then immediately put whatever I was cooking into the oven. And I was always confused because, you know, the box would tell me, oh, you need to cook this for 13 minutes or whatever it was. And I would put a pizza in the oven for 13 minutes and I would come back in 13 minutes and I'd be like, man, this pizza still needs like 10 more minutes. I don't understand. Why is this pizza not done? And I would let it cook longer and come back. And, and so in my mind, I tricked myself and I said, okay, well, I guess like this box must just be wrong. It must just have the wrong time on it of how long these pizzas need to be cooked or what it's supposed to be. And so I would tell people, they would say, oh, we're going to cook this pizza. And I would say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, you need to be careful, though, because like it says 13 minutes, but it really needs like 20, you know, like almost 20 minutes or whatever to cook. Well, I learned that the time on the back of it where it says preheat your oven to such and such that you're supposed to let the oven warm up and eventually it gets to a certain temperature and then you put it in and the time on the box is right. If it says 10 minutes, you let it heat up and then put it in for 10 minutes. And in my life, I don't know what it is, but I just can't seem to do that. When I go in the kitchen and I turn the oven on, I I'm ready for my food to begin cooking immediately. And so I take it and I turn the oven on and I press start and I put my food in the oven. And I come back at the prescribed time and I open it and I'm, I, I always find myself disappointed. I open it and I say, oh my goodness, I can't believe I've got to wait five more minutes for this. And, uh, and my, my incredible, wonderful wife, she always says, well, you know, if you would just wait for the oven to preheat, then when you go back to it, it would be ready. And I, I don't know about that. I'm not sure that that's, I don't know if that's true or not. But it's interesting as we read 1 Peter this morning, as we think about preparing for the best, that sometimes we get caught up in our life, much like I do, of wanting stuff right now. We want it in the moment. I turn the oven on and I want it to, boom, just be ready for me to use. I go back and I want my food to be ready. We have this idea, this mindset of instant gratification, that when I start something or when I desire something, that I get it immediately. 
Amazon, I'm sure a lot of you guys order things off Amazon or use it to shop for stuff. And Amazon, um, they, they added a new feature. This has been, it's been there for a while now, but they basically added a feature into Amazon where instead of going through the entire checkout process, you can, you can go into your Amazon and you can click on things and it's just instant buy. You just press one button and boom, it's ordered and shipped and on the way. It's even gone so far that in your houses, some of you may have, and, 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 uh, I don't even know what the correct, co- correct term for it is, you may have Alexa in your house. We just call her Alexa around our house. And you can go to Alexa and you just say, Alexa, order paper towels or whatever it is. And you can program it to where you say that and boom, they send it to you. And it immediately is purchased and sent. We live in a world where anything that we want is directly at our fingertips. But what we see in 1 Peter chapter 3 is a call in our lives to not live for now, to not prepare for today, but to prepare for what's best. Our life lesson this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, and it's Jesus is the one who calls us to live differently now so that we may inherit an eternal blessing. See, in our spiritual lives, in a walk with Jesus, in a relationship with Jesus, we often confuse things and we become so consumed with today that we miss out on the reminder of what God has done for us for our future. The future blessing of spending eternity with him, of having a relationship with him that unlocks in our lives this this eternal blessing and eternal promise that is promised to us in Christ. That the way that we live today, it influences and it affects our future and vice versa. Our future, what has been promised to us in Christ, should affect how we live today. And in 1 Peter, we're going to look at three groups of people and we're going to see how Jesus is the one he calls us to live differently now. To live differently today so that we may inherit an eternal blessing. I was very excited when Pastor Michael asked me uh, to preach. I enjoy getting an opportunity uh, uh, to, to be here and to preach and things like that. And, and, and Pastor Michael's been working through the book of 1 Peter. And I said, yeah, Pastor Michael, I would love to, I would love to preach. That would be great. And he said, okay, you're going to preach 1 Peter chapter 3, the first 12 verses. And I said, man, I'm so excited. I can't wait for it. It's going to be awesome. And I left his office and I walked across the hallway and I sat down in my office and I opened my Bible and to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1 says, wives, be submissive to your husbands. And I thought to myself, cool, Pastor Michael, thanks. I really appreciate that. I, you know, I, I can't wait to dive into that. But this morning we're going to look at husbands and we're going to look at wives. And Peter helps us understand and see how in a foundational relationship that we, that we understand and we think about in our lives, how we see this play out of how we're called to act differently. But Peter talks to husbands and wives, and then at the end of chapter, or the the middle of chapter three, the ending of this section, he reminds us that that this call, that this is not just for husbands and wives, but it's for all believers. That we have been called to live differently now with our future in mind. So we're going to dive in this morning and we're going to look at uh, principles that apply to wives and principles that apply to husbands and principles that apply to each one of us to help us begin to live our life today with our future in mind. So we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1 is where we're going to begin. It says, in the same way or likewise wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word but by the way that their wives live. 
when they observe your pure and reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God, they adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Now, I thought to myself as I was preparing and getting ready and reading, as I said, you know, there are several passages like this in Scripture. And I said, okay, I can make it through because it always starts with, you know, uh, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. And I was like, but but the the author always goes through. And then there's always a big section about husbands as well. And then I come to verse 7, and it's one verse about husbands. And I was like, oh, man, I'm really in trouble this week. But we can learn a lot from this verse. It says, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now finally, all of you, be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. Then Peter quotes from Psalm 34 here, and he says, For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. This is important. He says, Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. As we begin to look today at 1 Peter chapter 3, we see that there are three very clear sections here where Peter, he talks to wives and he talks to husbands and then he lumps us all together and he says, but all people. So we're going to walk through and we're going to look at these three different sections and I believe there are things that we can learn as we talk about living differently today with our future in mind, living differently today so that we may inherit an eternal blessing. And Peter starts in right from the beginning with wives. And so wives, we're going to start with you this morning. Women, we're going to start with you this morning. And, and like I told him in first service, I said, now don't forget husbands is coming. So, uh, so I, I don't want to see any elbowing in the aisle, you know, or, or, or staring intently at wives or anything like that to try to remind them of like, yeah, you need to pay attention because husbands, we're, we're coming for you. Okay. We're going to talk to you in a minute. So we're going to dive in today and see how we can live differently in our relationships so that we may inherit an eternal blessing in our future. And the first thing right out of the gate, Peter says to wives is he says, submit with a purpose. I think about submission and we think about this word and it's a word that can cause us hesitation or it's a word that can, can bring out certain feelings or thoughts and has certain contexts and connotations with it. But I think what Peter is showing here is Peter says submission is important, but submit with a purpose. See, when I think about submission, we sometimes think of this word, and I had some friends in high school that they were really big, and they loved um, watching like MMA and UFC and all these fighting and boxing and all this different stuff, and the idea of submission was always one person exerting dominance over another. That submission came at a point when one fighter said, I can't take this anymore, fine, I'll just give in and give up. And if we're not careful, we can read a passage like 1 Peter chapter 3 and think 
man, that's kind of a weird thing for wives to do, to submit. But what I love about this passage is that Peter shows us that this submission, that it's not just because that's what's supposed to happen, but it's submission with a purpose. See, remember, Peter in this time, he's writing to a specific people and he's trying to help them see how they can live differently in their daily life with their future in mind. And the people of this day, this is, this is what happened. Wives lived in a certain way in that day because it's just how it was. That was the explanation. There was a hierarchy in families where the man, where the husband in the house, that he was a man and what he said, it went and there were no questions asked. There was no room for discussion. There was nothing to be done except to submit because that's how it was. It reminds me many times of being a kid and asking my parents, well, why do we do things like this? Or, well, why do I have to do this? Or what do I need to do this for? And my parents' response a lot of times was answering my question and helping me understand something. But there were many times where, you know, I think I asked just one too many questions. And hey, listen, I'll be honest and admit it. Sometimes upstairs in Jumpstart with kids, it's, you know, you just get one too many questions. And the answer is, because I said so. <laughs> That's why we're going to sit quietly is because I said so. And first, and Peter is, he's talking to an audience that this is the way that husbands and wives worked in this day, where submission was simply because I said so. But he says, I want you to live differently in your life now. He said, I want you to submit with a purpose. And he shows what that purpose was. It was not just something that, well, because this is how the law says I should live, or this is what culture tells me I should do. He says, no, he says, submission comes with a purpose. And he shows us in verse one, he says, so that even if some, even if some husbands, if they do not obey the word, if they are not believers, if they are people who are not living a life that follows Christ, he says that they may be won over without a word, but by the way that their wives live. It's submission, but with a purpose. It's not a blind submission that just says, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do and I'm doing it, but it's submission with a purpose. It opens a door of opportunity in a wife's life to begin to lead their family towards Jesus. To show an example of what has happened in their life, what Christ has done for them, and to begin to utilize that example to say, hey, I'm going to show you through my actions what God has done in me, what Christ has changed in me. And Peter says it's a way to live differently, not submitting just out of blind obligation, but submitting with a purpose. The second thing that he points out for wives is not only to submit with purpose, but to live with character above all else. Again, if we think about the context that Peter is writing in, Peter is writing to a day and age when, when women of the day, they, they were easily identified by their, their class and status by their appearance. Jewelry was not available in every store and around every corner that everyone could have, especially not the nice stuff. And Peter looked at the, the context around him and he began to look at people and see, hey, people are very clearly identified by what they wear, how they wear it, where they're at, and things like that. And Peter says, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like these, but rather what is on the inside. It makes me think of the, the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16, where we find the prophet Samuel, he goes to visit a man by the name of Jesse. And Jesse has a bunch of sons, and Samuel goes to find the, the, the next king of Israel who's going to come after Saul. 
And as he walks through all of Jesse's sons and he looks at them and they all have the right resume and they look the right way and they're tall and they're strong and they've got experience and they have all the things that you would want from a king. But again and again and again, God says, this is not the one. No, not this one. Not this one. Samuel runs all the way through all of Jesse's sons and gets to the end and says, Jesse, are you sure there's not someone else? Are you sure that you don't have any other, you know, that, that God has said no? And Jesse says, well, he said, I do have my youngest son, but I, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be the one that you're looking for. But Jesse sends out to the field and he brings in David. And David comes in and God speaks to the prophet Samuel in this moment. And he says, Samuel, he says, don't ever forget. He says, the Lord does not look at the things that man look at. See, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And Peter echoes this here in this moment. He says, wives, don't forget. He says, in our lives, it's easy to become focused on what other people see. It's easy to become focused on what the world tells us we're supposed to look like or be like or, or the image that we're supposed to give off. Peter reminds them here, he says, don't let your beauty consist of outward things, but rather what is inside the heart. And he says, because that is imperishable. That won't pass away. See, what's interesting in our world, you can find it all around you today. You can Open your, open your phone or any computer and go on any social media site or any website and you can begin to find people who have constructed for themselves fake online appearances. Brad Paisley even wrote a country song about it, that he's cooler online. And we try to portray ourselves in a certain way and show people a certain way that we look or that we want to give ourselves off to be. And Peter reminds us, he says, this stuff will all fade away. It'll all pass, but what matters, what's on the inside, is imperishable. It doesn't fade. It can't be stolen. It can't be broken or taken away. And he reminds wives in this moment that not only do we submit with purpose, but we live with character above all else. Character above all else because the Lord looks at a heart. And he sees that in, those imperishable qualities that are on the inside. The third thing that Peter says to wives this morning is he says, not only do we submit with purpose and not only do we live with character above all, but that we follow, wives follow the example of those who have come before them. The character that Peter references here is Sarah from the Old Testament. We're familiar with the story of Sarah, Sarah and her husband, Abraham. And you may think about the story of Sarah and there are some moments in the life of Sarah that pop into your mind that you may be thinking to yourself, I don't know if I would always want to be like Sarah. I'm not sure that she handled herself correctly all the time. What's interesting here, though, is Peter, I think he's not, trying, he's not trying to show us Sarah as an example of someone who was perfect at every turn. Or someone who did what was right no matter what and always made the right choices. But what he's trying to show us about Sarah, he says very clearly in verse 5, he says, For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God. And then he goes on to talk about Sarah. I think it's a great reminder this morning that as a wife, as wives who try to live differently in our world today, as women who try to live differently in our world today, it's important that Peter points out this idea of following the example set before us. Following the example of women who have put their hope in the Lord. 
It doesn't mean that everything was always perfect. It doesn't mean that every decision will always be right or that everything will always go exactly as planned. But it's a reminder of that hope that we have in Jesus, the hope that we have in the Lord, that he has promised to take care of us, to guide us, to lead us. And that the example that we follow is an example of a, of a lady in the Old Testament who said, you know what, I, I'm putting my hope in Christ. I'm putting my hope in God, that what he's called us to do. There's going to be times of struggle. There's going to be times of mistake. And as we look at the life of Sarah, we see that in uh, several situations. But what we remember and what we see is that Sarah put her hope in the Lord. That no matter what was going on in her life, no matter what was happening around them, Sarah always came back to a moment of remembrance of God. I'm putting my hope in you. What a great example to follow as we think about living differently today. That our hope is not in other people, and we don't look to the example of people who, who, who use worldly ways to accelerate themselves or to build themselves up, but this reminder that, that this morning today for, that wives, it's important that we follow the example of putting our hope in Jesus, putting our hope in God this morning. But Peter here, he makes a transition as he talks about wives and he gives these reminders to wives that it's important to submit with purpose and live with character above all else and follow the example of putting our hope in Christ. Peter transitions over to husbands. He says, husbands, you're not off the hook. He says, likewise, husbands, we have some things for you as well. And Peter walks through for how a husband is to live differently in our world today. The first thing he says in verse 7 we see it very clearly as he says, finally, or I'm sorry, he says, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of Jesus. The first thing that Peter calls for a husband to do, that Jesus calls for us to live differently, I believe, is to be considerate of our wives. To be considerate of our wives, to live with, to be careful not to cause inconvenience or hurt to others. To be considerate of our wives. Again, if you think about the day and time where Peter is writing this, and you think about the idea of how a marriage functioned in this day, that a man would leave and he would go to work and he would go through his day and he would do all of his things and he would come home. And it was very common for a man to be a very demanding husband in these days. That a man arrived home and expected certain things and wanted things a certain way and for a man to be demanding. And it was the expectation of the day that the wife would just kind of meet those expectations. No matter what they were, no matter what was going on, it was the wife's responsibility to meet those expectations. But Peter says, no, I want you to live differently from the world. I want you to live differently from what others around you are doing, and I want you to be considerate of your wives. Not demanding in any aspect of life, but practicing considerate leadership and taking into account, am I choosing to do this? Am I making decisions for my family? Am I, am I living my life with my spouse in mind? I learned this lesson um, I, I, so I've been married for, we're going on three years now of being married. And so I feel like, you know, as an almost three-year veteran of marriage, this is a real good place for me to stop and give some marital advice, uh, you know, uh, things like that. Um, so uh, I learned very quickly the idea of, of trying my best, of doing my best to be considerate towards my wife. And we, um, we, we were going back and forth about a decision that we were trying to make in our house. And uh, we ended up coming to an agreement and making a decision, on, you know, on what we were going to do. And, and I don't know what happened. It was just the rest of the day 
Something was just different. I didn't really know what was different. I just knew something was different. Something was wrong. Something was different, and I didn't quite understand it. So we went on throughout the rest of the day, and we come towards the end of the day, and, and, and my wife says, hey, I, I need to talk to you for a few minutes. And just for clarification, I, I, I talked to her about this beforehand. I was like, hey, is it okay if I, you know, like if we talk about it? And she was like, yeah, that's so, so just to clarify that. And she said, um, you know, I, I want to talk to you about, you know, the discussion that we had earlier and how that went. And I was like, oh, yeah, we like talked and we made a decision together. It, it was good, right? She's like, well... No, I, you know, and she began to tell me some things that had happened during the discussion and things like that. And, and as I sat there in a moment of confusion, I, I said, court, I said, I don't, I don't understand what, like, what are you, I thought we were in agreement and, and we were on the same page and we were moving in the, you know, and things were moving in the right direction. And my wife said to me, she said, well, she said, Stephen, she said, it's not what you said. It's not the decision that was made. She said, it's not what you said, but it is how you said it. And I, I thought for a second and I looked at her and I said, but you knew what I meant. She said, well, yeah, but it's not what you meant. It's how you said it. And I began to understand in this moment, and, and it's something that <laughs> Trust me, I'm still working on. <laughs> it's something that I'm working on in my life of being considerate and saying, okay, as I make decisions, as I interact with my wife as a husband, how am I taking into account what she thinks, how she's created, how she's made, how she's built, what her feelings are, being considerate of my wife. It's living different in the way that we interact with each other. It's taking time to stop and say, hey, you know what? To be a good husband to my wife, for my wife to live in these three things that, that Peter talks for her, that I have to be considerate and put her first and work with her in our marriage, to be considerate of our wives. But Peter says not only are we called to be considerate of our wives, but we're also, to be, uh, we're also called to honor our wives. Honor is defined as showing high respect and have, holding someone in great esteem. The picture that pops into my mind when I think about the word honor is an award ceremony. Whether you're watching it on TV or attending an award ceremony, it's a moment where an award is given out and someone is brought front and center and all attention is on them for something they've accomplished. It's a moment where they are recognized, whether it's sports or movies or whatever it is, is the best at something. And all eyes are on them. And there's normally a person who says, man, this is their accomplishment. And it was so incredible. And people give speeches. And we see these moments of honor. And I begin to think about it as I read this passage that Peter says, husbands, it's important to honor your wife. And he calls, in, he calls into mind a thought. He says to honor your wife, not just because she's awesome or because she does things that you don't want to do or she takes care of family or things like that. He says, but honor your wife as a co-heir of the grace of life. So many times in our lives, I think it's easy for us to think about husbands and wives and the relationship that they have with one another and gloss over this idea that a husband and wife, while they are married and together, they are both individuals who are on a journey, on a spiritual journey as individuals. We're going to talk in a moment about where that intersects, but looking at our wives as, as our sister in Christ and treating them as a co-heir to what Jesus has promised. 
That what God has set forth is the way that we're to treat other people, the way that we're to interact with other believers. And sometimes I feel like we almost have these blinders on and say, well, awesome, I'm going to treat other believers this way. But when it comes to my wife, those things kind of go out the window. But Peter says here, he says, it's important in our lives to remember as a husband to honor your wife as a co-heir with Christ. That we are unified by our standing in Christ. But not only are husbands to be considerate and not only are husbands to, be, uh, to, to live with honor and to honor our wives, but the last thing I think we see for husbands is that it's a husband's responsibility to lead spiritually in their family. See, what's interesting about this passage and what I love about this verse that deals with husbands here is it says, husbands, in the same way, it says, live with your wives in understanding, be considerate, show them honor, and then at the very end of it, it says, do these things so that your prayers will not be hindered. And as I read that, I began to think, and I began to think about the opportunity and the job and the responsibility it is of a husband to lead spiritually in his house. To look at the way that I treat my wife and the way that I interact with my wife and the way that I love my wife as a form of spiritual leadership. That when I do these things, that it helps both of us grow in our relationship with Christ. That we grow together, that I am entrusted with the responsibility of saying, I'm going to make sure that I, as a husband, that I am growing in my own spiritual walk, but also encouraging my wife to grow spiritually. And walking alongside her and saying, we are not only going to grow as individuals, but this is something that we are in together and we are partnered together to grow together spiritually. And it's my responsibility as a husband to lead spiritually in my home. We are co-heirs, like it said in the, right before, uh, on a spiritual journey together. We are moving towards a higher purpose. And I think it's so fascinating that he says that our prayers can be hindered by the way that a husband treats his wife. That if a husband doesn't live these things out, Peter gives the, he gives the example here that our prayers are hindered. That it causes an issue in our house. I think a lot of times it's easy for us to look very quickly around and say, you know, you know I, I understand how not being considerate of my, of, of my wife or not honoring my wife could lead to problems in between her and I, but we fail to see the importance of this on a spiritual level. And then when there are issues in between us or when I'm not living the way that I should, that it, that it hinders my prayers is what Peter says. So it's a challenge to us today that as a husband we're to be considerate of our wives we're to honor them in all that we do, and we're to take responsibility of leading spiritually in our homes. What I love about these things and what I love about as we read from Peter and then you read later on uh, in Paul's writings as well is that these things, that these three truths to be considerate and honor your wife and to lead spiritually, they go hand in hand with what he has just said to wives. The idea of submission, the idea of living with character above all and following the example of those laid before him, that when these things, when husbands and wives are living these things out, each of them become easier for the other. That when I'm living considerate of my wife and when I'm honoring her and when I'm leading spiritually, it becomes easier for my wife to submit, to, to practice submission with a purpose. It becomes easier for my wife to live with character above all else and it becomes easier for my wife to follow the example set before her. And vice versa, as, as my wife is living those things out, it's easier for me to be considerate of her. 
Now, neither of these are excuses. You can't look at your spouse and say, well, if you just did this more, then it would be easier for me to do this. And so it's your fault. So once you get your stuff figured out, then I'll start doing what, you know, God says I'm supposed to do. But that they work together. It's a unity of two people who work together towards a common purpose of living differently today, living differently now, so that we may inherit an eternal blessing. But Peter doesn't just stop with husbands and wives, he says. But lastly, he points to, in chapter 3, he says, finally, all of you, because Peter, if you look back, Peter has talked to husbands, he's talked to wives, he's talked to, to, uh, to, to workers, he's talked to owners, he's talked to all of these different people um, about how they should live their lives. And he comes to this section and he says, but finally, all of you, we see here that Peter calls us to three very clear and unique things. He says, all people, he says, live in unity. Unity is an interesting word. It's a word that comes up a lot in our day, our day and age and in our time. Because unity sometimes I think is understood. That Sometimes we think of the word unity and we think about the idea of uniformity. We think that unity means, okay, we're all doing the exact same thing with no differentiation and we all have to do the exact same thing to be in unity. But what Peter reminds the people here is that our unity, it comes from one place and it comes from Christ. It comes under this idea of our banner that is Jesus. We just did in our study on Wednesday nights, not this week, but last week, we talked about a characteristic of God where we see it in the book of Exodus where we see Jehovah Nisi. It means the Lord is our banner. We talked about a banner as a rallying point, a moment, a, 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 a place of unity for all people. And that's what begins to happen in our lives. That's a challenge that Peter gives to us is that for all people that we are to live in unity with one another. It doesn't mean that we'll always agree. It doesn't mean that all of our methodology will always be the same, but it means that we are unified under Christ. Uh, there was a man in history named D.L. Moody, and he was a, a famous evangelism, a pastor and traveling evangelist. And this idea of unity and not looking the same for everyone, but needing something to unify you. D.L. Moody sat down with a man one night, and the man said, you know, uh, Mr. Moody, he said, I, I need to talk to you about something. And he said, yeah, sure, I'd love to talk to you. And the guy said, well, Mr. Moody, he said, you know, um, I, 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 have, I have a problem with the way that you're going about doing personal evangelism. He said, I don't agree with it, and I'd like to talk to you about it. The story goes that D.L. Moody sat down and pulled out a, a notebook and a, and a pen and said, yeah, I, I would love to talk to you about this. I'm always looking for new ways to reach people and to connect with people in personal evangelism. And he said, so first he said, I'm always willing to adjust my own methods and how I do it. He said, so tell me, how do you go about, what is your strategy for personal evangelism? And the man looked back at D.L. Moody and said, oh, I don't, I don't have one. I just don't like yours. The story goes that D.L. Moody looked at the man and slowly put his, put, his, put his paper away and put his pen away and said, well, I think I'll stick with my method then. Unity doesn't mean that things always happen the same way. It doesn't mean that we have to agree on how things are done or what is done. But what is important is that things are being done. That we are unified under Christ. That we have unity under him. That it may look different. You may think about it in a different way. There may be some parts even that we disagree on, but we're unified by Christ. 
The second reminder that Peter gives to all people is that we live in unity, and as we live in unity, that we practice compassion towards one another. When I think about compassion, compassion is an easy thing for us to think about and us to have in our minds and say, man, I really want to be compassionate in my life. But when it comes down to a moment of doing it, when it comes down to a moment where it's time to practice compassion, sometimes we freeze. Sometimes we have a hesitation and it says, you know, I know I'm supposed to be compassionate and I really want to be compassionate, but I don't know if I can do that today. I got a lot going on. I really need to be here. I really need to do this. And so maybe I can be compassionate tomorrow. Peter reminds us here that it's important for believers, for all people to live in unity and practice compassion. The easiest way for us to practice compassion in our lives is to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. That as we listen to the Lord speak in our lives, as we listen through daily prayer and daily reading of Scripture, that he begins to show us and lead us in how we can live compassionately to those around us. Peter wraps up this section on all people and he says not only do we live in unity and not only do we practice compassion, but as we practice compassion, it's important for believers to love one another. Again, another thing that is easy to say but is so much harder to live out in our lives. In our world today, remember Peter is trying to show us how we should live differently from our world. And Peter lays out a great example here for us. It, 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 when we interact with other people, there are three basic, uh, basic you know, core level interactions that you can have. Where there is a person who, what would be considered an, an evil interaction is when someone does something good for you and you return it with evil. So someone does something nice to you and you return it with evil. You return it with bad. You return it with nasty or something like that. Everyone looks at a scenario like that and says, that's not how you should treat other people. That's not how you should interact with others. But the world tells us that the way that we should interact with other people is that you get what you give. If someone does something good for you, then you should return that with a kindness. But if someone is evil to you, if someone is mean to you, then you are allowed to return in the same way. If you're driving down the road and someone flies past you and cuts you off in traffic, that gives you the go-ahead to then swerve around and fly past them and cut them off as well. Because, well, you know, it's what they deserve. They did it to me first, and so now I can do it to them. But Peter, right here, he tells us that in loving one another, it's unlocking this idea of living differently. He says, for a believer to live differently today when we love one another, that we must show mercy and grace to all people, and like Christ, we must return evil with good. That when people treat us wrongly, when people put us down, when people hurt us, that we are called as believers to return that with good. Now, there's wisdom in it, and Peter talks about this, and Paul talks about it as well and refers to it in many places of where Peter is not writing for the, for the disciples here, for the people that are following Jesus, to simply be people who allow themselves to be run over and taken advantage of and treated terribly, all in the name of loving one another. But Peter says it's important in our lives that we love one another and that we treat each other in a way that is counterculture to what people may expect. If people treat you wrongly, they're going to expect to be treated wrongly in turn. Peter says in this this section for all people, he says that for us to live in unity and to practice compassion, we must love one another by returning evil with good. 
Not letting our own personal feelings and emotions get in the way, but saying, God, this is how you've called me to live differently today with my future in mind. As I think about husbands and I think about wives and I think about all of us together in these things that Peter has laid out for us this morning, it's a great reminder that each one of us specifically and generally as a group that we have been called to live differently today because of a future blessing so that we may inherit an eternal blessing. 1 Peter chapter 3, at the very end of this section, Peter, he quotes from Psalm chapter 34, and I think it gives us a great perspective, a great look into what he's trying to help us see and understand. He says, wives, I've, called, I've talked to you to live this way. Husbands, I've given you these things to do. All people, he says, all of you be like-minded, and I've given you these things. And he says at the end of verse 9, he says, so that you may inherit a blessing. Then he quotes from Psalm 34 and shows us what that blessing is. Psalm 34, he says, For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Verse 12, Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. See, Peter writes these things out and he says, guys, he says, I'm not giving you these things today just as, hey, here's my thoughts on how to be a happy wife or how to be a happy husband or how to have happy interactions with one another or with other people. He says, I want you to remember that we've been called to live differently today so that we may inherit an eternal blessing. Wives, it may be hard to be submissive to your husbands with a purpose right now. Husbands, it may be hard to honor your wives at all times or to be compassionate or considerate of them. It's hard to lead spiritually in your home. For all of us, it's hard to show love to people even when we feel or think that they may not deserve it. It's hard for us to live in unity with people that we disagree on, that disagree with. But Peter reminds us here, he says, it's not about today. He says, it'll change how you live today. It'll affect how you live today. He said, but remember, we've been called by Jesus to live differently today because of our future. Because of the eternal blessing that is promised to each one of us. We're going to pray this morning as we close, and I hope that that's something you can take with you today and remember that, God, you've called us to live differently today because of our future. Now, Father, we love you, and God, we are so thankful this morning for all that you do for us. God, I'm thankful for the, the book of 1 Peter and it, the, the message it teaches us on how to live for you today, what it looks like to live out the life of a believer. Lord, I pray for every one of us this morning that as we leave this place, God, you would help us to remember that you have called us to live differently today so that we may inherit an eternal blessing, so that we may access and unlock a life eternal with you. God, thank you. Thank you for making that available for each one of us today. And God, I pray that that eternity would influence how we live today. Father, we love you. And God, we are so thankful for all that you do for us. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen.